Well, this morning we're going to be wrapping up a sermon series we've been in the last number of weeks called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And if you were with us the first week, we talked about kind of where the, the title of this, this sermon series came from. It came from a book, but, but it, the phrase is from a conversation between uh, a pastor, John Ortberg, and kind of a pastor of pastors, a man named Dallas Willard. And one day, John Ortberg was feeling kind of restless in his life and his soul. He went to Dallas and said, hey, what, what do I need to do to become the person God wants me to be? And Dallas said, you must do one thing. You must ruthlessly... Eliminate hurry from your life. He said, that's my advice. That's my one piece of wisdom. If you want to become the person God wants you to be. And so for the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the life of Jesus. Jesus who didn't live a a hurried life, a restless life. Jesus who lived a life full of peace, full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit. And we've been looking at some of the practices in his life and how we can adopt them and model our lives after him. And so... Uh, A few weeks ago, we looked at silence and solitude, how Jesus often withdrew to the mountains and to lakes and spent time personally, intimately with his heavenly father. And that was a source of strength. And we talked about how in our crazy, busy world, this is an important practice for us to pull away, to experience silence, solitude. Then we talked about how Jesus and his disciples being faithful Jewish men, they, 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 did work on six days of the week, and then on the seventh day, they, they rested. They worshiped, and they rested, and we talked about how Sabbath is important for us, and how when we, when we take a day to rest, we're reminded that our worth doesn't come from our work. Our worth comes from our Creator. And then last week, we talked about simplicity, how Jesus lived a, a very simple lifestyle, and how when we do that as well, what we find is that contentment doesn't come from accumulating more and more stuff. Contentment comes from resting in Jesus Christ. And today, as we wrap up the series, we're going to look at one final practice that is also countercultural, that is also not really celebrated much in our culture. And, you know, being good, good preacher stuff, it, it's another S, and it's slowing down. Okay? So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to them like they just drove a Corvette through your neighborhood, slow down. Okay? Slow down. Y'all know how it is in the neighborhood Facebook groups. If you have one like mine, people are always yelling at everybody to slow down. Slow down. This is something that, that, that's very hard to do in our culture that's all about bigger, better, and faster. But slowing down is huge. Slowing down is huge. It's huge for many reasons. It's important for for many aspects of our lives. I think one reason it's important to slow down is because it's beneficial, one, for our physical and our mental health. My son Patrick, some of y'all, y'all seen him walking around. He's just learning how to walk. But like when, when he's learning how to walk, right, if he's going too fast, what happens? He falls and he hits his face and he gets hurt. And a lot of times when we're moving too fast in life, that, that's what happens to us. It affects our physical health, our mental health. But not only that, I mean, it's also good for our spiritual health when we're moving slower in this world, we're able to, to pay more attention to what God's doing in our lives, see what he wants us to see, hear what he wants us to hear. So it's good for our spiritual health. But then I really want to focus on a third aspect of slowing down today. A third reason I think slowing down is so important, and that reason is this. We need to slow down because the pace 
of our lives impacts the people around us. Think about that. The pace of our lives impacts the people around us. And so, I mean, you think about how it impacts our families. How in all these movies that involve families, there's always like a scene where the child has their championship baseball game or tournament and the father is on an airplane and they're rushing to get home and what happens? They miss it and it's terribly sad. I mean, do you, have you ever thought about why that theme comes up in TV and movies over and over again? It's because a lot of people have experienced that in their life as children. I mean, as married couples, people know this, right? When, when, you're, when you're running crazy fast and you're running maybe even in slightly different directions over time, what happens is you grow apart. And parents or grandparents, maybe you felt this with your kids. The kids are now running at such a crazy pace with so many activities that a lot of times you feel like you're distant from them because they're so busy with so many things. The pace of our lives impacts the people around us, like our family. It impacts our our friendships, I mean, if you think about it, friendship requires intentional time together with other people, which is one reason why so many people are lonely right now after the, the year we've had where we, we haven't been together. But even pre-pandemic, even pre-pandemic, Americans were lonelier than ever. Why? Because a lot of times we were so busy we weren't making time for other people in our lives. So our friendships have suffered. But then also, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the pace of our lives impacts the relationships we have with our neighbors as well, our literal neighbors. I mean, how many of you uh, last year when it was like lockdown, how many of you got to know your literal neighbors better because you were around your house more and you got to see them around the neighborhood, right? Like that, that, that helped us when we were slower. But, but the pace of our lives impacts the, the literal neighbors around us. It impacts our relationships with people in our community and really, it impacts all of the relationships with our neighbors and our call to love them because Jesus calls us to love all people. And he says in one of his most famous parables that really all people are our neighbors. And so this morning, I want us to look briefly at a parable that many of you are probably familiar with. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable I've preached on many times. But in this parable where Jesus is talking about our call to love our neighbors, I think it also kind of connects with this conversation and this idea about slowing down. And so I want you to, I want you to hear this parable from Jesus again with fresh ears this morning. He says this, he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day... He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. When he tells this parable, Jesus lifts up the Samaritan, kind of as the, the model here. 
in this story. And one of the things I love about parables is that you can kind of come to them again and again and, and see different aspects and ask different questions of them. And, and so this morning, I want, I want you to think about this question. Why did the Samaritan stop? Why did the Samaritan stop? I mean, different, different interpretations. Maybe he was concerned, yeah. Maybe he was like good Samaritan. He had like good morals and he had compassion overflowing in his heart. And so maybe he was good and the priest and the Levite, they were bad. And they were, they were like, you know what, cold-hearted people. And they're like, we don't care about this guy. And so they were going down the road. Maybe the priest and the Levite, they were kind of burdened. And they were confused about what to do because... You might have heard that, that, that in the Jewish law, like for them to touch a body that was maybe bleeding or dead, like it might have defiled them as they were going to the temple to do different stuff. So maybe they were thinking, well, I don't know if I, if I should help him. Maybe they were kind of conflicted inside. So maybe they were bad. Maybe they were burdened. But maybe, and Jesus doesn't tell us here explicitly why the man stopped. He does say he was full of compassion. But maybe... The people didn't stop, not because they were simply bad or burdened, but maybe they didn't stop because they were busy. Maybe they felt like they had places to go. They had people to see. They didn't have time to stop on their way to their next appointment. And maybe the Samaritan, he had a little more margin in his schedule. He wasn't in such a rush, and so he had the capacity to stop and care for this man because he had a little time on his hands. I mean, this week I was drawn to verse 35 where where it says the next day he took out two denarii. I never even noticed this detail before. I mean, he not only took the man to the inn to be cared for, it says the next day. So he spent the night there at the inn with the man. The next day he paid the innkeeper. And then later it says he, he was going to come back to reimburse the innkeeper for any extra expense he had had. And so, so perhaps it was the pace of his life that enabled him to express concern for this man. Because if he had been busy rushing from one place to the next, maybe he would have felt like, you know what, I just don't have time today. We've been talking about Jesus' life and the pace of his life, and this is something we see in Jesus' life. I mean, was, was Jesus doing great things? Yes. Was Jesus doing miraculous things? Yes. Was Jesus doing a lot of things? Yes. Was Jesus rushed and in a hurry? No. Jesus was moving at what we might call the pace of grace. And so when Jesus was going about his everyday life and the interruptions came up and, and people were coming up to him in all situations, maybe like he's walking by somebody in need, Jesus had margin in his schedule that he could stop and care and love for these other people in a way that a lot of us might not. So Mark chapter 5, there's a story where Jesus has, has just gotten off of a boat He's just gotten off of a boat. People are crowding in on him. And one person is very influential in the community, a man named Jairus. He, he presses in on Jesus and he says, look, I need you to come heal my daughter. Now, this wasn't on Jesus' plan, but Jesus, he says, yes, I'll do it. He says, yes, I'll heal your daughter. So Jesus is going, he's going to heal him. And at this point, the crowds are pressing in on Jesus. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have had the, the, the disciples be like body men, okay? And I would have had them clear the path. Is that people weren't touching me and all this stuff. Like, I, I don't like being touched and tugged and pulled on. Um, and so, like, that's how I would have been. But Jesus is doing this. He's walking. He's going to do this miracle, something very important, to heal this man's daughter who's at the edge of death. And somebody pulls at the hem of his garment. 
And Jesus stops. He stops and he asks, who's tugging on his garment in the midst of the crowd? And and a woman speaks up and she said, it was me. I've, I've been bleeding for 12 years and I'm in need of healing. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. He stops and heals this woman as he's on his way to do something else very important. He was moving at the pace of grace. And he didn't see these things as interruptions. He saw them as divine encounters. Then in Mark chapter 10, we see him and his disciples leaving Jericho, heading towards Jerusalem. And Mark tells us this, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. People are like, hey, hey, be quiet. They probably didn't say it that nicely. They're like, be quiet. This is Jesus. He's doing important things. Don't bother him. He doesn't have time for people like you. The people, probably the disciples and others in the crowd, are shushing this guy. But, but the man, he shouted all the more. He didn't care. And he shouted, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stopped. And now to stop, you have to first slow down. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And then Jesus asked this question, I love this question that Jesus asked him. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We see this type of stuff over and over again in Jesus' ministries. A lot of his most remarkable miracles and things like this that are happening take place in the margin of his life. In the space that he left open for other people. And so you have to ask yourself the question, like if... Jesus had been crazy busy, and if his schedule was packed to the gills and had been in a rush or in a hurry, I mean, would these miracles have taken place? Would these acts of mercy taken place? I mean, I look at my own life, and I can say, yeah, no, I, I bet I would miss a lot of them. I probably would have said, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have time for this. And I mean, think about your own life, and think about how many, perhaps, miracles we've missed, we haven't been a part of, how many moments of ministry, moments of of mercy that we could express to other people we've missed because we've been in a hurry. I've been thinking about that this week, and I think for me, it's probably a lot of moments. I think we miss out on a lot of moments, and I don't I don't only think that, there's also research to back it up. There's some social scientific research. In 1973, Princeton Theological Seminary did a a research study on why some people do good things for other people and why others don't. So they recruited a bunch of seminary students, people training to be pastors, and they said, hey, they gathered them on one end of the campus in a room, and they said, hey, we want you to be a part of this experiment. They all agreed, and they said, okay, soon you're going to have to preach a sermon without a lot of preparation. 
And they told half of them, you're going to need to preach on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then they told the other half, you can preach on kind of whatever other topic we give you. And then they said, actually, some of you, you need to go right now to the other side of campus because the other researchers are waiting to listen to your sermon. And so actually, they've already been waiting. We're running behind schedule. We need you to go right now. And so that group of people, they, they left the building. They told another group of people in this research experiment, they said, hey, you're right on time. We need you to just head out at your own pace, go across campus, and preach the sermon when you get over there. You know, you're, you're, you're doing good. We're on track and everything. Then they told a third group, they said, hey, um, you know what? Y'all can relax. The researchers are going to be waiting. Whenever you feel ready, go ahead and cross campus and do your thing. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The researchers, unbeknownst to the participants, had placed a person who looked beaten up and bloodied and maybe drunk and stuff in a pathway that each of the seminary students was going to have to walk by on their way to preach their sermon. And the researchers tracked how many of these soon-to-be pastors stopped and helped this person in need. And here were the results. We're going to put them here in a second. The first result is that it didn't matter what they were preaching on. If they had the parable of the Good Samaritan in their mind, that did not affect significantly whether they stopped to help or not. But here's what did impact it. 63% of those people who felt like they were not in a hurry, that they had a lot of time to get across campus, they helped. 45% of people who felt like, you know what, they were on time, they could go at their own pace, they helped. And only 10% of people, 10% of these pastors, some of whom were about to preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan, only 10% stopped to help the person in need that they literally had to walk beside. The pace of our lives impacts the people around us. And years ago in a book, I read this question, which has kind of haunted me ever since. The question asked this, are we living at a pace that leads us to be available to those all around us? Are we living at a pace that leads us to be available to those who are all around us? Because love takes time. Love doesn't typically happen in a split second. And so when we're, when, we're, when we're rushing, when we're not concerned with other people, when we feel like we're in a hurry and we have places to be, a lot of times we miss these opportunities, these moments where we can show mercy and where we can love other people around us, our friends, our family members, our neighbors. But when we have that margin in our lives, when we're moving slower in this world, then we're more clearly able to see, notice, and ask God, how are you at work in the world and how do you want me to be a part of it? And so as you think about that question, I mean, maybe in this season, you're, you're thinking, you know, actually right now, I am living at a good pace. And if that's you, I, I'd say keep it up and I would say fight for it in this season ahead. Fight to continue to be available to people around you. But, but if you answered, you know, I don't know that I'm living at that pace. Well, then the question is, how can we begin to move at a different pace? a slower pace to be more available to those around us. And 
John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he, he says that one thing you can do is you can set up self-imposed speed bumps in your life to help slow you down. And now, I hate speed bumps, right? I try to go as fast as I can. And like my, I have a sedan, and so I can, I can go pretty good over speed bumps. But speed bumps are effective, are they not? Right, like they're very effective at slowing people down. And then if you don't do them, you know, your car breaks and stuff. And, and so John Mark Comer says, look, think about how to create speed bumps in your life. And he gives an example of, of a very drastic speed bump. He said, perhaps a speed bump in your life to slow you down would be getting rid of your television. Oh, my is right. Yeah. He says, how many hours, how many hours a week would you open up to others, other things in your life if you got rid of your TV? But, he, you know, he says that's one. That's very drastic. He says the simpler one is a commitment he made at one point in his life. He said, I committed to get to every appointment, meeting, worship service five minutes early and not pull out my phone, he said, so that I could just kind of be ready and be present to those around me and not show up in a rush and in a frantic pace. So he gives those suggestions in my own life over the years and as I've been going through this series, I've set up some. One, one that's really helped me is I deleted the Facebook app off my phone. And so it, it's, a, it's a little harder to get to Facebook. I mean, I can do it on my phone, I can do it on my computer, and I do do it on my computer. But the fact that I deleted it off my phone now, my usage is, is way down. And that's, that's kind of good for my soul, okay? So that's something I've done. I, I have friends I have friends who have told me that they're kind of ADHD, their minds run a, a mile a minute. And so they said, look, when I'm doing quiet time with God, I, I try to journal my prayers, journal my thoughts, things going on in my life, because they said it slows me down, helps me move at a slower pace. Another one that I started doing is putting my phone on Do Not Disturb. Pretty much all phones have that. So if I'm in a meeting now, put my phone on Do Not Disturb. I don't have to worry about that existential stress. You know, when your phone is ringing in your pocket and you're with somebody else and you don't know whether you should answer it or not answer it. So it's on Do Not Disturb. It helps me live a little more calmly. And one thing I've been noticing in my life too is that sometimes lately I'll be at the store and I will just notice myself like walking super fast everywhere. Any fast walkers in here? Yeah? Okay. I've just started asking myself, why am I walking so fast? And sometimes I'm in a hurry, right? I have to be somewhere I'm late. But most of the time, it's just a habit that like I have to move quickly in this world or, or else. But when I start saying, why am I walking so fast? And I slow down, you know what? I actually begin to notice like the cashier, I begin to notice the people around me. I become more available to others. And, and so in your life, I don't know what those speed bumps are. I'm not trying to give like prescriptions today for you or say this is what you should do or shouldn't do. But what I want you to begin thinking about is in your life, what are some speed bumps that you can create to help slow you down a little bit? Be more present to those around you. I know a lot of people turn off notifications on their phone. In my neighborhood, it's cool. I see some couples. It's like every night about seven o'clock, they'll do like a 10-minute walk from their house just around the neighborhood. And it's a speed bump. The couple slows down. They talk with one another for 10 minutes. Every night, it's a ritual. And they go back 
to their day. It's, it's a speed bump for them. And so I, I don't know what those are for you. It's going to take practice to slow down because nothing is pushing us in that direction. But I want to encourage you to slow down this week because I think it will make a huge impact, not only on you personally, on you spiritually, but also on all of the relationships in your life. And I'll close with, with this. A, a few years ago, I was on a mission trip. And one of the things I love about mission trips is they kind of slow you down, right? You're, you're disconnected from your everyday life. You, you, you don't a lot of times have phone service, so you kind of move slower. You're more present. And then you get back here and you're like, my life is crazy. But, but when you're on a mission trip, you're able to move a little slower, be more present with people. And so one trip, I was in Guatemala, and we were, we were with a program called Abuelitos, which was like vacation Bible school for people 65 and up. Doesn't that sound fun? We, did, we like sang Father Abraham. We gave out toothbrushes and like played games, cakewalks, stuff like that. And so we were there. We were having a lot of fun with these older adults in this community who, who they don't have any social service, safety, anything like that. And so this was a time for them to come and experience relationships and Bible study. And when we were there, I met a guy named Nicholas. And uh, Nicholas, we'll, we'll put his photo on the screen. He, he had a big, big smile, a big infectious smile. And as I was talking with Nicholas, I, I learned that he... He was pretty much blind. You can see his glasses, how thick they are. And he had, he had a white cane that he would use to go around the community. And, you know, we got to see him. Like, he was weaving in and out of traffic with his white cane. And so we were talking with him. And as I was talking with him, I couldn't help but notice a, a sign that he had around his neck. It was on string, printed and laminated. And he said he put it on every day. And the sign says this in Spanish and then in English. It says, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, would you help this poor blind man for the love of God? I've never seen anything like that in my life. So I asked him, I said, wow. Like, do people read your sign and help you? He said, no. And he didn't go on to explain why they do or why they don't. But I mean, you, you can guess why, why people don't stop and help him. And then at the bottom of the sign, there, there was another phrase that was in Spanish. And my Spanish wasn't very good, so I couldn't quite translate it. It says, que fuera un buen samaritano. And I was like, that's kind of a weird tense for me. I'm, I'm like very beginner. And so I asked him, I said, what does that mean? And they said, well, basically... It means like that you would be a good Samaritan. That you would be a good Samaritan. And so after reading it and talking with him, he, he got his cane. He walked back to his house, weaving in and out of crazy traffic. And ever since that day, I've thought about that sign and that phrase, which was like, it's like a prayer from him to God on his chest for the world to see that you would be a good Samaritan. And my, my, my hope in, in, in the sermon, in the sermon series for us is that, is that we, would, we would live out that prayer, like that we would be good Samaritans, that we would be people who have eliminated hurry from our lives so that we can be present 
available and compassionate and caring to those who are around us. And so this morning, I, I want to invite you to bow your heads in prayer and, and let's just ask God together to help us be good Samaritans, to live out this prayer of Nicholas. Here, near, and far. And so, Heavenly Father, we, we confess that we are so often busy with dumb things. Things that don't have eternal significance. Arguments that don't really matter. Stuff that's going to fade away. Idols that we have placed above you, God. We confess that we have filled our lives so often with things that don't really matter. So God, this morning, we, we want to offer you our hearts. We want to surrender our lives. We want to surrender our time, our schedules once again to you and say, would you have your way with us? Would you have your way? Would you help us to invest in the things that really matter? Would you help us have margin in our lives so that we can, we can be a part of the miracles that you're inviting us to be a part of so that we can show mercy to people in need? God, would you help slow us down so that we can be more available to you, more available to others, so that we can be your hands and your feet in this world. God, we can't do it on our own. And people will try and sell us products to fix this problem for us. But God, we don't need another product. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to slow down. To say yes to everything that you're inviting us to be a part of. So God, this morning, would you still our hearts? Would you still our hearts before we go back out into a, a busy world? Would you meet us in Christ's name? Amen.